This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. All of us have had interruptions in our lives due to COVID-19 crisis. It's interrupted our work lives, our, our, our religious lives, worship services. It's, it's a, even your work has been erupted. And it has also caused a change in the production of getting to know your Bible. I know you've seen that change. It is our prayer that very soon we'll be back to a regular type of production. But we solicit your prayers, your patience, and your viewership during this time of interruption. It is our prayer that God will bless you with good health and that your family will stay well and safe. And may God bless us all as we go through this crisis. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. A courteous young man was known by his classmates, even his professors, as being very kind in his attitude, especially toward women. He was very courteous to them. And out of curiosity, one day, one of his classmates asked, Why are you so courteous? What's caused you to be that way? Not only was he courteous to young, of some of his younger classmates, but even his teachers, his professors. He said, let me tell you something that happened once. He said a young man was pacing up and down in a hospital corridor. His wife was in an adjoining room about to have a baby. And the doctor called him into the room and in hushed tones, thinking that the young mother could not hear him, the doctor said, we have a crisis. It's either save your wife and possibly lose the baby or save the baby and lose your wife. That young husband said, whatever you do, doctor, you save my wife. But his wife heard what was said, and she very faintly said, I heard what you said, and I plead with you, whatever you do, you save my baby. And that young man said to his classmate, I am that baby. You see, there's not much that can compare with the love that a mother has for her child. There's not very many things that a mother would not do for her child, for their child's safety, their welfare. Even if a mother were to see her child in a burning building, 
she, she would rush into that building hoping to save that child. And in so doing, she might receive burns that would mar her and scar her for the rest of her life, but she would never regret it because she saved her child. Mother love. But the love that a mother has for a child in no way compares with the love of God. The great love of God. I want to read a passage to you today that's very familiar to most people who read the Bible, know the Bible. Now I'm reading for the third chapter of John's Gospel, beginning in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that, that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is one of the most familiar readings there is in the Bible. And out of these few passages, I would like to lift up one verse for us to think about during this time of study. And that is verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. From this passage in John 3 and verse 16, I want us to think about the great love of God. And this passage tells us so many things about the love of God, and let's study them together. First of all, this passage tells us about the greatest being, and that's God. For God so loved the world. The opening sentence of the Bible reads, In the beginning, God. In the beginning of time, there was God. In the beginning of the universe, there was God. In the, in the beginning of our galaxy, there was God. In the beginning of man, there was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The greatest thought that an, a person will ever have is the thought of God, that God exists, that God is real. For a person to say that there is no God, that that would, person would have to have some of the attributes of deity. God is an omnipresent God, that is, he's always present. He's everywhere. And he's an omniscient God, an all-knowing God. You see, for a person to say that there is no God, that they would have to have those qualities. Because you see, if there's a place that they have never been, that may be where God is. And if there's some, if there's one thing they do not know, that may be that God exists. But the fact is, none of us are possessed the qualities of deity. And a man is a very foolish man indeed to declare that God does not exist. 
As a matter of fact, in Psalms 14 and 1, the psalmist said, The fool is said in his heart, There is no God. Man have to be very foolish, foolish indeed, to say that God does not exist. For God so loved the world. And that the evidence of God is all around us. God has declared himself to the world. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul wrote, For the invisible things of him, that is God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That's saying that there is no excuse for a person saying there is no God. Because God has revealed himself in nature. In Psalms chapter 19, verse 1, the Bible there reads like this. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. See, when we look around us today, we look at the flowers as they're blooming. You go out and look at your garden as it's growing. You go out and look at the sky at night when the stars are twinkling like diamonds in the sky. When you see the moon shining brightly and the sun bathing the earth with its rays. That tells us that there is a God. That God created everything. And he is a monotheistic God. Some people today believe in pluralism. You have your God, I have my God. And they believe that their God is as great as my God. But the Bible says there is one God who is above all, through all, and in you all. One God who created everything that exists on the face of this earth. And that one God has expressed his concern and his pity and love for mankind because he said, for God so loved the world. Now that part of the passage tells us about the greatest thing, and that's love, for God so loved. He loved to the extent, he loved it to, the, to the degree that he gave his son. So love. It's hard to comprehend love, isn't it? It's hard to fathom the love of God. His love is great, isn't it? Ephesians 2 and 4 says, but with his great love, wherewith he loved us. And I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that I can explain to you the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God. Paul wrote about that in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. How do you fathom that? How do you describe that? I, I really don't have the, the words to, to say it to you that would paint a picture for you to have in your mind that it, you have a greater appreciation of the love of God. But I can tell you one thing for certain. He loves us. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Listen to him now. Who loved me. How much? And gave himself for me. Paul said, God loved me. His son loved me. How much did he love you? He loved enough to die for you. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, 
Let a man lay down his life for his friends. It's a wonderful thing and a, an encouraging thing and a noble thing if a person were to die for one of their, his, his or her friends. Jesus not only died for his friends, he died for his enemies as well. For God so loved the world. He loved the world. So sometimes when the word world is used in the Bible, it has reference to the globe or the sphere, what we call the earth. But why, how, the way that it's used in this passage is referring to the people that dwell upon the face of the earth. The way Jesus used it when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's talking about the people on the earth. And like the beams on the cross, the love of God stretches back to the very beginning of man's existence, the beginning of time. And, the, and it reaches forth unto the end of time. God gave his son because he loved mankind. Sometimes we get to thinking no one loves us. Nobody cares about me. But, but I want you to know God cares about you. And God so loved the world. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. What great love that our father has. And he loves the whole world. All mankind. Everyone has ever lived on the face of this earth was a subject of the love of God. And those yet unborn will be subjects to the, of the love of God Almighty to the end of time. For God so loved the world. You know, the most profound thought I think that we could ever have is this one. You, you know this song, I'm sure. This is a very profound thought. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Oh, the great love of God. This verse tells us not only about the greatest number, it tells us about the greatest gift. He gave his only begotten son. Notice the first two words, he gave. Giving begins with God. God is the original giver. God is the one who gave. In the very beginning, what did he give? He gave, he was willing to give his son. Revelation 13, verse 8, he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There's never been a time God did not have that sacrifice in mind. That Jesus would die for the sins of all humanity. What great love of God. His is a great gift, a great gift. Paul describes that gift in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15 like this. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Now that's the way that passage reads in the King James translation. Reading from the New King James, it reads like this. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I just can't talk about it enough and I don't have the, 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 the 
mastery of the English language to the extent that I could describe adequately the love of God. Do you watch the television and, and the, the, the people on the news begin to tell you about the national debt, how many trillions of dollars that we are in debt to and how that translates into each person who is a citizen of this country and that each citizen, if it were divided up among the citizens of the land, how much you would owe on, the, on this national debt that's in the trillions of dollars. Well, I can talk about trillions of dollars, but I'll tell you, I don't comprehend that, do you? You get out of hundreds or maybe a few thousand, I, I might be able to comprehend it, but not trillions. And when you think about God's love, that he was willing to give the royal gem of heaven to come down into this world of sin and suffering and sorrow and die on a cross because he loved us. He loved us so much. I just really don't comprehend that kind of love. So this verse tells us about the greatest gift. God so loved the world. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 reads like this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Think about that verse for a moment. Jesus was rich. How was he rich? He was equal with his Father in heaven, on an equality with God. Paul in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, said, Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who counted not the being on an equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself in the form of servant, being found as a fashion as a man. He humbled himself unto death, yea, the death of the cross. The death of the cross. Jesus was rich and yet because of his great love for us he became poor he came down in this world of sin and suffering and sorrow and he lived a life of poverty he lived a life of rejection among men why did he do that because he loved you so some that are watching right now may feel rather unloved right now he said, nobody cares about me, Brother Lambert. Yes, someone cares about you. God cares about you. Jesus cares about you. They love you. They love you so much. But this verse tells us about the greatest faith. Whosoever believeth in him, whosoever believeth in Christ, it is essential to believe in Jesus. In John 8, 24, Jesus said, If you believe not that I am he, well, you're going to die in your sins. And that's a horrible thought, isn't it? But in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, there the Bible says, He came to his own, and his own received him not. But, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. Well, who had the right or the power to become a son? To those that believe on his name now, you cannot become what you already are. So I know that in the fact that they received him did not make them sons, but they had the right to become sons because of their faith in him. Faith is essential. But the believer of John 3.16 is not just a believer in Jesus Christ, 
The believer of John 3.16 is a confessing believer in Jesus Christ. In, in Romans, the 10th chapter, in verses 9 and 10, Paul is talking about Jesus Christ. And he says, If thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The believer of John 3.16, the believer that will be saved, is the believer who's willing to confess that he believes Jesus is the Son of God. As a matter of fact, we, we should confess Jesus. In Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, Christ said, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. To confess Jesus Christ as, as the Son of the living God is so important. We're living in a time where people blaspheme the name of Jesus. And they burn the Bible in the streets of America. And they rail against God. But I'm telling you that the believer of John 3.16, the believer that will be saved is, is a believer that's willing to stand up for Jesus and willing to confess the name of Christ before men. But the believer of John 3.16 is a, is a baptized believer. Our Lord, your Lord, my, our Lord said this in Mark 16 and verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. There are two conditions of our salvation that are mentioned in that passage. One is faith and one is being baptized into Christ. Let me read you some passages from the book of Galatians that would be a divine commentary on Mark 16, 16. And also explains John 3, 16. Verse 26 of Galatians chapter 3 reads like this. For we are all the children of God. How? By faith. In what? In Christ Jesus. So we're children of God by faith in Christ. Well, if we're children of God by faith in Christ... How do we come in that relationship with Jesus Christ? Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, were what? Baptized into Christ, did put on Christ. We come into that relationship with Jesus Christ where he becomes our Savior when we are baptized as a penitent, confessing believer in him. Whosoever believeth in him. Our salvation is in him, isn't it? Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10 says, Salvation is in Jesus Christ. If salvation is in Christ, if Paul is telling us where it is found, how do I get into Christ? And he tells us in Galatians 3 that it's by being baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, so, this is the greatest faith that there is known to man. Whosoever believeth in him. Do you believe in him today? But this passage also tells us about the greatest tragedy that could ever occur. And he says, should not perish. Those who accept Christ, believe in Christ, should not perish. They should not perish. You know, it's tragic to lose certain things in our lives. If you were to lose your health, 
that'd be tragic. I've known of people that lost the ability to reason, that is, they lost their minds. They did not know who they are, where they were, what day it was, whether it's morning or night. And that's tragic. It's sad if a person loses their loses all the money that they've been saving for their retirement and they lose it in a bad investment. That's tragic. Or maybe the house burns down during the night. That's tragic. But folks, the greatest tragedy that could ever occur is if you would lose your soul. Now, you could lose a lot of things and not be ruined. But if you lose your soul, you're ruined for eternity. Our Lord asked this question in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Have you ever thought about losing your soul? Your soul can be lost. And that would be the greatest tragedy that will ever happen in your life. So this is a great verse that tells us about the great love of a great God. But it also tells us about the greatest human blessedness and should have everlasting life. Everlasting life. I don't understand that. I don't understand everlasting. That's duration without limits. That, that means it has no end. The fact is, I'm a dying man speaking to dying people. You see, our time in this world is limited. We're not going to live forever. If we, we live three score years and ten, that's all we've been promised. But God has offered you everlasting life. Would you accept today? Would you accept that life today? I want to thank you for watching, getting to know your Bible today. I want to encourage you to call for the free Bible correspondence course and visit the Church of Christ in your community May God bless you is my prayer. And may God bless you until I see you again on this telecast. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, 
P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.